Welcome to this episode of Right Stuff, presented and produced by me, Chris Fitzgerald, through the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Now, in this episode, I have an interview with the poet Martin Dyer, but before I launch into that interview fully, I'd like to just play this from the Fireside Podcast, which is also from the Head Stuff Podcast Network. And it's a new enough podcast that looks at some great stories, including some Irish mythology. Once upon a time... Do you enjoy fairy tales and ancient myths? Or are you someone who just enjoys being told a good story? Well, Fireside is the new Irish storytelling podcast. Every week on Fireside, I take a story from folklore or mythology, retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, culture, and history of storytelling. This isn't a stuffy academic podcast. This is about having the crack and telling a few tales. My name is Kevin C. Olahan. I am your host and your Fireside bard. Wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me for a story by the fireside. Now on to the interview with Martin Dyer. Martin was really a pleasure to talk to and to listen to articulate what it is to be a writer and a lover of poetry. This interview includes an awful lot really, including some fantastic readings, but... I still think it just scratches the surface of what Martin has to say about poetry and so like we said towards the end there may be a part two of this chat with Martin Dyer if he's willing to do it and we recorded this at the University of Limerick where Martin is a poet in residence so I started by asking Martin if he sees there has been any kind of conflict between the creative arts and academia coexisting in the same setting and yeah so please enjoy this interview with Martin Dyer and you can follow me on Twitter at WriteStuffChris too. Um, I think there's potentially conflict there um, as an individual who is working in a university um, where your identity as a writer is being endorsed and where your identity as a writer is being almost offered to you at a, at a, at, on a daily basis um, there could be there could be an extent to which it's difficult to get into that concentrated place where your own work comes from um, the great American poet Wallace Stevens uh, said something uh, very, very memorable about about originality. He said it's it's necessary for for originality in poetry. Um, in, in, I suppose in order to have originality in poetry, one needs to have the courage to be an amateur. That's the that's that's the line. And I've thought about that a little bit. What it means to be an amateur and why somebody why a poet so enormously sophisticated and literary. Um, indeed, a poet who in his working life struggled to make time to write um, and, and as such felt kind of belated. Wallace Stevens didn't publish his first book until he was in his 40s and then didn't publish a second one for about another 10 years. Um, why would he identify an, an, the, the idea of being an amateur um, as being relevant as being important to, or to to originality and I think it has something to do with being uh, detached from honours uh, detached from recognition in some way for the sake of the words because ultimately what you're trying to get at is is human human experience and it's better to be shielded from the happier forms of endorsement and recognition maybe um, but then in another sense it's an ideal environment it's an ideal it's ideal for a writer to be in a university it's your job to read it's your job to uh, tap into your own native in enthusiasm and um, so there's all sorts of um, exchanges that that, that that go on that that um, help you to believe in what you're what, what you're doing um, and 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 
I suppose in the other side is being being busy, being busy ultimately um, ultimately you have to take that as a, an opportunity to find a balance. Um, I don't think um, most writers would say when they're lucky enough to have periods of time where it's just about the writing. Um, most would admit that in, 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 in one way or another they, they, they begin to feel that they're, la- they're languishing and they're, they're, looking for, they're looking for engagement. Um, so so you, you, you make the time for the given project that you're moving forward and um, then you make, you make the most of the, the engagement and, and, the, and, and the busyness. And there really is nothing like feeling, that, feeling like what, what you have, what you've learned through your process that you can um, that you can boost somebody else's creative practice by offering aspects of it, um, and it does it does fundamentally put you put you in touch with with why you began to write. Mm. Um, and Wallace Stevens, you also quote in the program of Buna Naguiha, which we'll get to in a while, um, mm. relating to the relationship between poetry and meditation. Is that mm. something that you have thought about as yeah. as a poet as you've progressed as a poet? The meditative aspect of reading poetry and writing poetry, I take it, are mm. both aspects of poetry that you feel there's a relationship with meditation. Uh, definitely, I think the the sense in which, which that 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 other Wallace Stevens quote is, um, he he said something along the lines of uh, a good poem by definition is inexhaustible to meditation, and so he was using the word meditation in a kind of a grand. Um, form there with respect to reading and interpretation uh, that um, that's that's something that I find very compelling um, and, it, and it relates to uh, perhaps this specifically goes back to a poet's experience the poets um, need to let go of their own strict sense of their intentions and to let go of the the, the meaning of the poem and to to identify less with its with its reception um, because poetry by, by definition has doubleness and tripleness built into it. It can be looked at in different ways. A good poem can uh, elicits those contradictory responses. But and, and this is definitely something. Wallace even certainly used the word uh, meditation in a more a more spiritual sense, um, a more um, reflective, a more reflective, refle- maybe mm-hmm. reflective kind of sense, isn't it? A reflective the, yeah. sense, I suppose. I mean, definitely. What <coughs> what 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 is what is poetry about? I think it fundamentally poetry is addressing the limits of our perceptions and the limits of our understanding and, and it's trying to pers- pretend that we can in some way through language be more be more connected to the world that we inhabit in some way and even just sketching it that way that kind of pathway some sort of augmented relationship between self and other self and self and world that is classically the fruit of meditation, the fruit of contemplation, the fruit of um, regular efforts of breath, breath awareness, um, and and that is that is in part. I'm not a um, I'm not a meditation practitioner, or certainly not a meditation uh, teacher, but um, I think that uh, that that a good poem does does well as as the poet Robert Frost said about poetry. It's a po- Poetry is a momentary stay against confusion. Uh, it does, for a time, offer um, timelessness, maybe, and that we 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 step outside the habitual, and um, and we move from ordinary perception into versions of vision, 
and uh, I think that all of that can be stored in the same bag as meditation, even in its more um, ideal form, even in the form of uh, thoughts and ideas that pertain to enlightenment. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But when it comes to Purnanagriha, then collaborating with Ryan Malloy, composer, and then the Damselflight trio who performed uh, his compositions with your words, putting your words out there for that kind of, I mean, it seems like the words were kind of taken apart and made into something new in a way. And as an audience member at a performance of that, and having read the words beforehand, gave me a completely different perspective on that. Mm. Um, can you tell us a bit about that process of mm. a poet being a collaborator and how that felt for you? It felt, um, after a certain point, very natural and very exciting. The work was, was difficult. It was, it was definitely um, a challenge to complete the poems uh, to the point that I felt that there was a chance that the composer Ryan Malloy might be able to respond to them, might be able to journey with them for the for the sake of a musical composition. But I had I had collaborated with uh, with a musician previously. I'd worked with the uh, the minimalist piano composer uh, Connor Walsh for a number of years, a, uh, a a Mayo native who passed away just a couple of years ago, uh, too soon. Um, and uh, we had we had a couple of projects together, and so the, that that experience of being in a room with someone who was playing the piano and uh, trying to find ways in which the poems and and the music might might talk to each other, uh, thinking about how they might be presented, um, and, uh, and 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 indeed performing some of that work, um, gave me gave me a kind of uh, a set a set of skills. Um, it left me open to it, and. Um, previous to Bunyan Aguija, that work, Ryan Malloy had set my poem Death in the Post Office to music um, about about a year before we began um, that project. And so seeing that work come to fruition, uh, seeing him speak about that poem and his composition at the first performance of that work um, was, was an extraordinary experience and it left me with a very concrete sense of trust in him as, as an artist, as, as, uh, as somebody with an interest in, in, in poetry. Um, so when the opportunity came, came about, I, I absolutely wanted to work with him and had, had complete confidence actually, which I suppose is a pretty big deal yeah. to, be able to, to be able to say that. Uh, it was a birthing process uh, along the way and ultimately when the performers came to Ireland and, and, and it was time for the for the tour which 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 took place last month um that was that was extraordinary and 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 exciting there was a certain trepidation around it um i was uh, i was i was curious and i was i was i was sure i was going to find it thrilling but i i was worried about audience experiences <laughs> um and uh that those those uh, those worries proved to be proved to be un- unfounded and um, the recital here in in Limerick was particularly uh, particularly exciting and, and and satisfying. It was an unforgettable atmosphere. It really was lovely energy. Yeah, um, this might be a nice time to, if you wouldn't mind reading from that collection, Martin. If there's any piece that in particular you'd like to read, sure, sure, I'd be I'd, I'd be delighted. Um, I might um, I might read a piece that. Um, that in fact, as part of the Bunyan Aguija song cycle, was included as a, in a sense, a, a, a spoken word movement. It, uh, it did have uh, flute uh, with it, but the soprano in question, um, Liz Peirce, um, re- recited it with this amazing 
actor's uh, approach, which is a really interesting thing and, 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 and a tribute to her as a, as a performer. She's a professional singer. But um, in fact, I, I recall in an interview, one of the things she said about uh, the, the challenge of singing most of the Bunyan Nguyen poems, but reciting a couple of them, um, what that meant to her. And she said, in a sense, it was the ultimate improvisation challenge. And, and so she was going to be acoustically attuned. Uh, she was going to be thinking about pronunciation and inflection and narrative in, in a way that was parallel in some sense with her, um, with her understanding of singing, with her singing practice, with, uh, with, with opera, with, with leader song, with the, with the, sopranos, um, with the sopranos world. Um, so, and, and, I, and I, again, another, a kind of a revelation, I suppose, in the process. Um, I was all prepared to be, when I attended rehearsals, to be in a director role when it came to, in this poem in particular, I, was, I felt I was going to have to um, get lucky with respect to convincing her um, what kind of pacing was best, etc. And there was really no need. I made a couple of points, a couple of points on emphasis, which she, uh, which she embraced very graciously. Um, but there was there was no challenge in it. I was I was absolutely charmed by her by her delivery, which was which was a very pleasant surprise, um, because I'm very used to reading my own work and it is bound up with my own my own voice in a sense. That yeah. would be a that would be a root of my writing. Mm. Um, the the idea of your delivery. own performance and your own the rhythm your internal rhythm and your own voice. Yeah, um, yeah. is something that you. It's not that you have it in mind. I suppose when you're writing, it's just. It's, it's a constant with the words that you're creating? It is, it is. Yeah. I mean, if we think about it in relation to the realm of creative writing teaching, mm. that's one of the things that the, the teacher of creative writing pretends to offer, a pathway um, for the apprentice writer, uh, the young writer, the beginning writer, a pathway towards their own voice. And that's, that's a, a kind of... Um, uh, compelling but kind of quirky metaphor for a, for a kind of an X factor within within the writing, uh, but I, I think many writers come to understand that it is very very true that there is a parallel between the personality on the page and the performance and the patterns um, and the strategies of the language and your own physical voice that the the that it's it rings true to that extent that it maybe it came it came from you uh, it's it's better not to be overly self-conscious about it um, but but learning learning to get in there and, and write from your own voice uh, in, the, in the various senses that that can be understood I think is definitely part of the part of the art um, there's also a sense though in which uh, for me I do enjoy reading publicly um, that um, that the poem has to stand alone on the on the on the page and uh, and you can be maybe seduced by the sense in which when you step to the mic um, you will bring it to life yourself and that's not a reading experience it, it, we call them readings but um, it, the 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 audience member is not is not reading. It's in a sense passive, or it's closer to music in that sense. It's multi sensory, um, and there's an occasion. So 
um, I suppose, in the Bunyan Nguyen process, and particularly in relation to the poem that I'm about to read, which is called Merlin and the Sheafries, I, I, I did write it in my own voice, but I recall when I was finishing the poem, trying to finish it, that I, I laboured under the idea that, that um, I wasn't going to be able to accompany the poem into the hands of the composer. Um, that it had to be the words on the page that that spoke to him and that that, that prompted his his musical ideas. So, to whatever extent you let yourself be perfectionistic in the in the time where you're finessing uh, finessing a poem, maybe maybe that maybe that severe idea that okay, you won't you won't get to support the poem at its first at its first hearing in a way um, you won't get to participate in that um, I, I think there's I think there's a value in that in thinking yeah. in those terms because you have to let go of it yeah okay mm. so, so Martin yeah when you're ready thank you a Merlin in the Sheafries there is a feeling that is equal to the land a sense of self that is the journey's length it can change, dark to bright, and back again, in moments such as when a hill decides to vanish, prompting the sea to appear, sun-thatched, sun-pregnant, sun-remonstrating, before another bog-dividing mile leads down to a stretch where abundant rock, as if by words or acts, elicits calm. In a mood of three mountains, you'll drive on. The lands equal by free and strange degrees, one for whom a Merlin sighting proves a way to push the day to absolute kinship. The Merlin declares, I have brought you here, to which madness the Shifri winds reply, talk to the dead as you would to the living. Address the living as if they were the dead. Beautiful. Thank you, Martin. Thank you. That's great. And listening to you reading that, there is definitely a rhythm and there's a lyricism to it. And I mean, you've already addressed this to an extent, but the, the relationship between poetic words and lyrics is there any is there any boundary between them really at all i mean i think yeats recalled his words lyrics all the time and mm. some some of your poems um it seems in maiden names even have what well, feel like choruses or their refrains that uh they seem like songs to read mm. um are you thinking lyrically a lot and to hand your words over to a composer there's a music in your mind, is there, when you're when you're writing? There, 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 there might be, but mm. um, I, I, and and I'm I'm excited by music, and I'm excited by songwriting, but it's part of the it's part of the power of poetry, and maybe part of the plight of poetry to be unaccompanied, and that's that's important, and and I think to to write lyrics is. Is is one thing to write songs is 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 one thing. You can take you can take the same kind of care 
with language, but there's a point in which, as I understand it, you you let go at a different point. You project into the possibilities of instruments, you, the, the possibility possibilities of the the kind of raised voice that is is the singer's function, um, and and also well, I think poetry can't compete with the immediacy immediacy of of music um, and the immediacy of songs. But in, a, in another sense, and if you think about it, songwriters are always delighted to be referred to as poets. It's true. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's, it's a compliment they enjoy. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a thing that, that uh, critics say uh, in, in full confidence that uh, it'll be music to the ears of the person they're writing about. Um, in, in, in the sense that that doesn't come back the other way if you no, think about it no, it's true um, that, that that poet is is I'm sure we talk about music of the of the the, the the language but in that sense we're kind of we're, we're reaching for a, for a, for a metaphor we're making an effort to describe the effect that poetry has on us um, poet, the poet is obsessed with sound um, and of course the roots of poetry are are music they are Collaborative, they are um, not the the one man band ism, uh, you know, as as we understand it um, conventionally now. Um, but um, I I'm interested in writing in, in writing songs, but I see it as something very different to writing writing poems. And it is part of the appeal is that challenge to 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 push the text of the poem right up to a point where it has a certain self-sufficiency, that it's, that it's alive in its own terms. And, and as I've said, for me, in my understanding of it, that happens to be um, associated with being unaccompanied, with, with working a cappella. And, um, and I think there's, there's at, at its best, um, folk music, rock music, Electronica on stage, that performance can really, really blow us away. Take us to places that we can't describe or report, but recognize as human. Um, in the same sense, an individual person, an individual man or woman standing on stage, speaking into a microphone, um, reading things that, that we understand um, they have written. And that's, par- that's part of it. There's ideas that surround the, the poet and, 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 and poetry, reading one's own work alone at a, at a microphone at its best can can exhilarate us can 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 blow us away can give us goose flesh can send us into places similarly that we can scarcely account for but we recognize as 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 fully human maybe that's the same thing as saying <coughs> the poet and the songwriter have the same goal mm. Mm. yeah would you uh, would you mind exhilarating us again, Martin? With, uh, no now, pressure. Now, no pressure. Now, now, now. <laughs> you, um, br- you brought along kindly and very generously. You brought along a few works uh, to read from. Is there you have maiden names in front of you? There is there something yeah. from that that you would yeah, mind reading? Yeah, I, I, I'd be delighted. Um, so maiden names was first published in two thousand and thirteen. I think that's the that's second right. edition, two thousand and fifteen. Um, that's right. But very enduring work. I think that will last a long time. You know, um, is there a particular piece you'd like to read, Martin? I'd um, I'd like to read Death and the Post Office, if I if I may. Yeah, I'd love to. Um, Death and the Post Office. The job they're given is fairly simple: find the place, 
go in for half an hour and discuss the settlement. Consider, if it's appropriate, the few antiques, the safe, the signs, the switchboard. Glance at the books, the electrics, perhaps fill out some forms, but these owl ones, these Kathleen's, these Annie's, they can be fierce long-winded. For some of our lads, their ways are just too compelling. Some accept a drink. Some will have lunch. We had a Polish guy who took a 92-year-old out in the van. She showed him a ball alley. Fair enough. Dozens of ghosts and no graffiti, but if you're not direct about the job, you understand we've had to weed out the dreamers. Immunity to stories, I find, is the primary quality. You don't want to be sitting at an old table under a clock that strikes you as fabulously loud or find yourself cradled by the past, thinking a man need venture no further west than the brink he meets in a mouthful of milky tea. If the archive harbouring frailty of the postmistress soothes you, if her wit grants you the lost farm and maternity of the world, if her isolated dwindling village, a place without a pub or a shop, whose nearest decent-sized town is itself desperately quiet, if these things move you, what I mean is, if you can't meet a forgotten countryside head-on and calmly dismantle her, fold her up, carry her out and ship her back to head office, however ambiguous, however heavy-handed or fateful, however bloody poignant the whole affair might seem to you, if you can't stand your ground when a steep moment of hospitable chat and reminiscence might tempt you to put your mobile phone on silent, or worse, blinded by plates of fruitcake to switch it off completely, if you cannot accompany an inevitable change, knowing you did not cause these people, these ways to vanish, and if you will not sign off on expired things for us, then I'm sorry, but you are not our man. That gave me the goosebumps you were talking about, <laughs> Martin. Thanks William, for that. That was great. Um, so in, in that poem, you're doing so much. I mean, you're depicting characters and you're depicting a situation, but you're telling a story as well. Mm. And one of the themes of that is telling stories. There's uh, the line about being immune to stories. Mm. Mm. Um, you know, is, is that a poet's role as well, is to tell stories? And uh, Danny Denton was here last week. He's uh, for an event for Franken Week mm -hmm. that was in UL. And he spoke about there being maybe even though it's not scientifically proven, he feels that there maybe is some genetic propensity for humans to have to tell stories, for that to be part of our core and this innate thing that we have, that it's our ex expression of our identities, it's, it's part of what makes humans humans, is the need to tell stories. Mm -hmm. um, is that what you're, you feel is part of a poet's role as well? I, I do. I, I, don't, I don't think you can escape it. Mm. Uh, but a, a part of my faith in the idea of narrative in, in, in poetry relates to the fact that it's, 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 a, it's a technique that's available 
you can choose you can choose to embrace it and I think writing from your own experience for example and there are there are powerful moments and powerful effects that can be can be achieved um, but similarly and and maybe maybe even equally there are powerful effects um, that are possible through playing characters and uh, through um, through doing something overt around around narrative um, and I would subscribe to the the, the ideas that um, that you're relating that that um, that Danny has said in his, his, his visit to the university um, you, you you can't escape it and and, and and I think I think to I think all ethics the the idea that we're we're we are we are willing or bound to uh, renew our our connectedness to each other relates to story, um, and that that line in that uh, in Death in the Post Office, where the character of Death, who I understand in the context of the poem as the as the king of cutbacks, you know, the one who's responsible for the hastening of the closure of post offices across the country, that it's it's tonally it's it's framed as a as a, as a point of pride, because this character is trying to, to trying to rally new employees and he says you understand we've had to weed out the dreamers immunity to stories I find is the primary quality so that it's intended to be humorous maybe ironic ironic maybe um, and, and and the hope is that the that with the language such as it is and if it has freshness, the idea of immunity to stories, that, that is intended to encapsulate some, an, an ethical image. What, what, might it, what might it mean to have an immunity to stories and to enjoy it and to, to uh, conceptualize it as something that could be uh, offered to others as some sort of upgrade? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and, and it's, the poem is, is a reflection on Political responsibility and, and political political power, um, and um, and I, I recall I recall writing re- writing that that line and wondering wondering was 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 it too overtly conceptual to mention mention stories and I and I probably did try and balance it balance it with that speaker's voice and it becomes kind of conversational I find. You know that character himself is almost sitting at the table with a cup of tea when he when he says that, and and the effect uh, I hope is that sense in which the this caricature excuse me this character is becoming a kind of a, a self caricature, um, just just for a moment and 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 I hoped that made it a little bit more dynamic and I wanted to I felt the need in the writing to keep keep moving plant the ideas package the ideas knit the ideas. Um, but uh, but maintain that sense of a single narrative, um, which which seemed which seemed necessary for the the purposes of the uh, of the poem and, and 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 the main structuring principle of that continuous narrative is the idea of giving out instructions. You might find yourself in X position, Y position. This is how to handle it. This is how your predecessors, those fools, failed in this. And and that's the. That's the conceit of the poem, I suppose. And um, I'm back maybe thinking a little bit about poetry's essential doubleness and, and, and tripleness. Um, there's always 
multiple things to to manage in order to arrive at, at the at the at the unified the unified thing. And um, yeah. Martin, we've covered an awful lot, but I think there might be a part two of this discussion at some stage because uh, I, I know you're going to be around for a while, so we might meet I'd again someday. I'd be delighted. Would yeah. you mind leaving us with another reading? Um, sure. Is there anything in particular that you'd like to finish with? Sure, sure. I might uh, I might go with a um, I'd go with a horse poem. Yeah. How about, yeah. How, how, how about that? Um, this one, um, this one is called um, "In There," and um, it's uh, in its way, it's it's a fairly it's a fairly simple memory. Um, but um, for for me personally, it, um, it it's 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 resonating at the moment because I've, I've been thinking that it's it's almost it's almost twenty years since it was since it, since, since it was written. And um, it's a poem that um, that taught me a few things about um, my own uh, poetic leanings, and, um, and 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 I've become conscious that in, in in recent years I've written two or three poems that are almost in my own um, in my own kind of uh, in the shadow of my own process that uh, that are response poems to this 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 early poem. Um, in there, the swollen mare, an animate hillside dolmen, was the warmest thing in the field. In the rain, we approached her with the vet who would insert his arm into the tight cave of her life, under her tail, in there, where I imagined tongues of braille flesh spoke things on his hand that my parents paid him to translate. And I could not imagine her insides as dark. I thought there had to be something there, clearer than daylight, the stuff and the place so profound to be said of, life comes from. She groaned but stood still, an inconvenienced yet tolerant oracle in our inquiring midst. Sunk to his shoulder in hot equine encasement, the vet fixed his eye on the distance and read. And then, the checkup complete, his sheathed arm glistening with the grease of horse health, he smoked and spoke to my parents. With the sight of the mare's soaked oak neck, big veins there like suede worms, my eight-year-old mind pulsed. Her mane of treacle laces, her bulbous, inky eyes, maternal in ways that made me feel safe and sad. Drizzle drifted through, where steam from her body met our visible breaths, two clouds of creaturely presence diffusing together in February light. Pleased, we descended the hill, my ankles weak upon the hoof craters, the Lilliputian castles of manure unmade by Mayo weather, the rain falling steadily upon the ocean of sympathy that was that sacred word, foal. 
This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.